Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. There's a feeling, there's a dynamic in the world that bugs me. I'm sure it bugs you. Maybe it even hurts you. And the dynamic is like this. It's when someone thinks something of you and it's not quite right, you're misunderstood and then they keep their distance. Ever been there? Like for, for me as a pastor, it always happens at someone's wedding. You know, I get stuck on the kids' table often. <laughs> and I try my best for about two to three hours not to reveal what it is that I do. And the minute I tell anyone at the kids' table that I'm a pastor, certainly that weird uncle that often also gets put on the kids' table, they go, oh. And they say, oh, I need to use the loo. And you never quite see them again for the rest of the night. Does that happen to you? <laughs> A deeper level, you may be misunderstood by a friend, a friend who thinks that what you said meant that, and then as a result, they kept their distance. Might be a, a sibling thinks that you said that about them, and as a result, they've decided to keep their distance. I know for some of you, it's been a child. A child doesn't understand, doesn't think that you love them, and so as a result, they've kept their distance. Uh, for anyone above the age of 30 in the room... There's a technical term for this. It's called being ghosted. You've been ghosted. Someone just keeps their distance without telling you that they're keeping their distance when someone thinks something of you and then you're misunderstood. Here's the, here's the question this morning for us. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? I often ask this question over the years as a pastor, and I get all sorts of different responses. But here's a common one. Would you like to know the most common response that I get from people when I ask this question? Is They say, they say Sam, if, if I could be honest with you, you know, I, I kind of feel like God is disappointed in me. Because I'm kind of disappointed in me, and if there is a God and he's a holy God, then surely he must be disappointed with me. Another common response I get is that, well, surely God doesn't like me. <laughs> surely God is not for me. And as heartbreaking it is to hear that, it, it should bother us, but it, it shouldn't surprise us, right, church? Because we've been part of the problem. I'm not saying just we, and look, we're not the world's most perfect church, but the church, the, the problem with God is that the, the church has a brand issue. I remember one of our church treasurers said, Sam, you've got to be careful. You know, we never want the church to land on the front page of the newspaper because, you know, it might ruin our reputation. At which point I said, no, I'm like, church doesn't have a reputation. <laughs> the church has got a brand issue. And because the perception is what people think of the church is that, you know, the church has often been so known for what it's against. And so people begin to think if church is against me, if Christians are against me, then... God can't be for me. God must be against me. And that, um, that bugs the daylights out of me. <laughs> Absolutely bugs the daylights out of me as a pastor. And so, um, so are you okay if we just get it absolutely clear what God is about at Easter? What God is about at Easter is this, that God is for you. John 3.16, and as you saw it in the banners coming in, for God so loved 
the world. By the way, we see that word, the world. That doesn't mean for God so loved the religious types or the good types or the ones who drag himself to church. It means the world. It means everyone. It doesn't mean whether you're black or you're white or you're from Australia or South Africa. It doesn't matter whether you're from the east or whether you're from the rest. Everyone. God loves everyone. And we see that through his conversation with a religious type. To which some of you say, well, you know, how do I know that... God loves me. (laughs) He's disappointed with me. Um, For me, and I kind of get it, over the years, uh, one of the things I thought God was disappointed with me for for many years was the fact that as a 10-year-old, I snuck into my first R-rated movie. And as a 10-year-old in the mighty year of 1991, I, I, I snuck into one of the greatest love stories ever told. It was a packed cinema in, in George Street. It was rated R for all sorts of different reasons. This packed cinema all went in to watch the greatest love story ever told, Terminator 2. (laughs) And I'll tell you what scared me about that movie and why it's R-rated is that what scared me about that movie on that day was not the fact that uh, there was blood and guts all over the screens. And I don't think I've even told my parents I snuck in to see this. Was, the thing that scared me was not the blood and guts. It was, it was a room full of 15 to 18-year-olds that end up crying at the end of the movie. And spoiler alert, because I know so many of you now, whether you're watching online or whether here this morning, are going to go home and watch Terminator 2 this afternoon. It's part of your good Friday viewing. Uh, what was scary is watching a bunch of 18-year-old boys crying, you know, because at the end, in this greatest love story ever told, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the T-800 that had come from the future, year 2029, in order to save John Connor from the impending T-1000 Mercury Man. Wasn't he a scary figure, friends, if you've seen that movie? <laughs> the final scene in which they shoot the Mercury Man into a, a vat of molten lava, molten metal, And Schwarzenegger, the T-800 cyborg, comes to recognise that there's a chip within him that if is left to be in the hands of humanity will ultimately lead to the formation of a cyborg army. And ultimately humanity will be wiped out yet again in the future. I know, you're getting emotional already. (laughs) And it's in that moment that Schwarzenegger, and I'm going to tear up. (laughs) Holds on to a chain. And presses the button to lower himself into the molten vat. And remember, boys, that time right at the end when Arnie gives him the thumbs up. <laughs> Tears everywhere. <laughs> what, what is it about a story of a cyborg's love for his son figure in a movie that stirs us? And it will stir you if you watch the movie. Look, it's not, it's not the story of Terminator 2, because Terminator 2 points to a story beneath every story. I would suggest that if a bunch of 15 to 18-year-olds can cry over a cyborg, lowering himself into a vat of molten metal, it's pointing to something within yours and my heart that resonates kind of like a wine glass if the right note is played. And it's this, that love... Love is best demonstrated when you see its cost. That's how you know someone loves you, when you see how much it costs. And so here we are at Easter. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
Of course, you all know this, Christians, don't you? You know, there's some of you today saying, hang on, like, where's the Bible? Where's the verses? I, I need some more information, Good Friday. You know, I'm, I'm here. Where's, let's, let's, get, let's, let's exegete this thing. Hey, can I suggest for so many of us that call church home, we don't need information this morning. We need a demonstration. We want to be moved by the recognition of what it cost God to love us. If you want to know whether or not he's for you, look at what it is that he has done for you. And so can I ask you a question this morning, whether you're a person of faith or not, what did it cost your God to love you? Because whether you're a person of faith or not this morning, if you're not a person of faith this morning, can I suggest to you and can I push you that you are still worshipping a God? It may not be the God, but it's a God. It's something that you've made God, it could be your bank account, it could be your career, it could be a loved one. We all serve someone or something, says Bob Dylan. You're going to serve somebody, maybe, maybe a king, you might like to dance, you may be the ambassador to France, but you're going to serve somebody. And so my question for you, whether it's the Christian God or whether it's a God of your own imagination this morning, what did it cost your God to love you? And so I ask the question once more. What do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? And here's what God thinks about when he thinks about you. He says, there's, there's Sam, I died for him. There's Glenn, I died for him. There's Ray, I, he's worth dying for. There's John, he's worth dying There's Sarah, she's worth dying for. It's Marcus, he's worth dying for. It's Cam, he's worth dying for. It's Karen, she's worth dying for. It's Helen, she's worth dying for. A great writer said, until I know how much it cost, I don't know whether to shake his hand or fall at his feet. And so friends, uh, whether you're part of church or not, or whether you're watching online this morning, here's what we're doing this morning. We're coming to remember what it cost our God to love us. And it means this morning that the degree to which God's Spirit amongst us moves our hearts into that reality is the difference between, in this moment, whether we just want to shake His hand, whether we fall at His feet, or maybe for some, whether you continue to ghost Him. Uh, we live in a world where it feels like everything's against us at the moment. It kind of feels like the world's against us. The tides and pressures of life's against us. We've got colleagues against us. We've got families against us. We feel like we've got the church against us. Let's be really clear this Easter for all the people or the things that may be against you. There's one thing that's not. And it's Him. And it's demonstrated here that He is for you. So... Shake his hand, fall at his feet. I invite you now as we move into this time of communion that uh, some of you may wish to uh, come and reflect at the foot of the cross this morning. Uh, whether you're a follower of Jesus at this church or any church, I invite you to take communion. Some of you may wish to come to the cross and to get your communion here. We've got other communion laid out around the auditorium. But it's in this moment that we come to realise what it is that he's done and what it's cost him to love us.
Hey, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, that's cool. You wouldn't be the only one in this place or the only one watching in. And I just say to you, what is it? What's it cost your God to love you this morning? Our answer to that will determine the ways in which we respond. So come, take communion, take one of the bookmarks that will remind you of the message that we've had this morning. And now it's this time of reflection where we can be moved, not by the love of a cyborg, but the love of God Himself. Let me pray. Father, we thank You for the way that You have demonstrated your love for us and for so many of us in the room this morning we don't need new information we need a fresh revelation of the scope and the magnitude of what you have done may that touch our hearts this morning lord and i would ask that your spirit moves amongst us to bring each and every one of us wherever we sit in the spectrum of faith into the reality of Easter this morning. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.